Hello and welcome to WordPress Marketing Podcast, the podcast which teaches you how to reach the top of the WordPress business ladder from those who have already climbed it. I'm Joe Lobo and today I'm joined by Troy Roenfeld, the founder and managing director of Increasio. Increasio provides a full range of digital services to help you promote your business. I spoke to Troy about how to come up with a business strategy, how to find out what customers are looking for, your social media strategy and much more. I'm joined now on the line from just north of Sydney with uh, Troy Roenfeld, the founder and managing director of Increasio. Um, Troy, thanks for joining us on WordPress Marketing. No problems. Thank you for having me. And uh, am I correct in saying it's sunny Sydney or is it a bit colder this time of year? It's a bit cooler at this time of the year. We're sort of in the mid-teens um, temperature-wise and a little bit rainy, but it's it's not too bad. As someone from London, when you say mid-teens, for me, it's not exactly cooler. It's kind of maybe peak summer or getting close to that. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I spent some time in London. I know it can get pretty dreary there. So pretty happy to be pretty here on the, on the central coast with a bit of warmth generally. It's a, yeah, it's one of those things. London's a great city. One, you know, my opinion, I'm known biased, one of the best in the world. But the um, the weather does leave a lot to be desired. So yeah. we're always jealous of you Aussies with the sunny weather you get all year round out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, the sum- summers in London can be lovely. You get some beautiful long days, but then sometimes they just, the summertime's far too short. And I suppose my first question is, is how did it come about? How did you start your company? Yeah, so I, I've had a varied career to date. Um, way, way back when I, I did a, a double degree in accounting and computer programming um, and went into the accounting system space. Um, and that's when I ended up in London for a while. We were implementing accounting systems, uh, maintaining accounting systems. It was actually around the, the Y2K bug. Um, we were making sure all the systems were weren't going to it wasn't going to be the end of the world for for these corporates I was working with and then after that we went into the euro conversion um, when I came back to Australia I kind of diverged from there and I set up a, a business uh, recruiting um, for accounting systems specialists um, and myself and my business partner we both come from the that background um, so we built up a, a small agency and while we were doing that we also built up a, an employment website business so we had a whole range of, of niche employment websites initially again focusing on the accounting system space most of them were in the IT space we then white labeled that solution we were selling it into corporates who were running them as internal job boards um, across their businesses we we're also powering other the niche employment websites. Um, we ended up selling selling that business and I stepped away, tried to work out what I wanted to do next. Um, so since we'd started going down the path of websites, I, I decided that SEO was was where I wanted to be um, and hence the, the name Increaseo. Very soon after that, I quickly realized that whilst kind of enjoy web SEO it wasn't necessarily the most enjoyable work working with clients and so then we expand I sort of worked more on project management uh, helping companies with their digital infrastructure and then we started more down a traditional digital agency path um, with SEO as an offering so that's the short story. In your experience over the last few years what have been the advantages of running a remote team compared to quote-unquote a normal team based in one office? We kind of have a rolling support if we get a an inquiry from a client at 5 p.m. at the end of the day and it's urgent and they need something done now. Uh, our development team don't have to sit here and work all night. They can sit there and work all day. It's It has really helped with our deliverability and our turnaround on specific requirements. Obviously, we don't we don't like to always have to do projects and, and tasks that are so urgent that you have to drop everything to do it. You try and plan it out a bit, bit more, but from time to time, these things happen. And being able to respond to those needs and, and help clients out in a really 
really quick and efficient manner um, is really, really helpful. It also does have the drawbacks in, in when you're working with developers, sometimes there needs to be a bit of a project management side to it. And so um, having to then work through and answer questions is for the urgent tasks, being able to answer questions in a timely manner for the developers so they can keep working means that myself or some of our project managers might have to work some evening shifts um, just to make sure things keep moving. So that can become a bit of a drag. Um, but if if we've got a, the larger projects and we can plan it well, that doesn't, that doesn't need to happen. In the early days when it was just Hannah, we had both Seb and Hannah in a different time zone. We didn't have any development resources here. You'd kind of also get in a bit of a hole sometimes if, if a client asked us something at 10 o'clock in the morning and we needed an answer then and there. It was a bit, sometimes that was a bit challenging. I'm not a developer. I tend, I can work my way around it and I can know enough to get myself out of trouble sometimes. So if, if there's something super urgent, quite often I'd be able to hack into it and work something out, but sometimes it's just beyond me. How much of a benefit are costs uh, to running a remote company in the sense that I'd assume it's a lot cheaper as opposed to having an office and having those running costs as well? Yeah, so we, we do have an office, but not everyone's in the office. So you do, and because we're we're on the central coast, we're not in the CBD of Sydney. We Our client base is all over the country. We, we actually have a, a warehouse, which is just a big square box. And so, you, yeah, it kind of has a bit more of a trendy sort of feel to it. Um, it's lower cost because it's not commercial space. It's it's more industrial. And and we're in a regional area. So we say, save a lot on, on overhead being on the coast. We also, we don't have to have as big an office because we don't have have as many people in the office as, as we normally would. Staffing-wise, we, we're not, I guess, we're not offshoring to super cheap countries. So we don't save a huge amount in, in staffing as if we offshored to the Philippines or to, to India or something like that. What I found though is when, when I have experimented with offshoring those, those countries, and we do do it in very specific tasks, but if it's a larger project, you have to weigh up the, the savings in, in development costs with the increase in project management costs. You'll have a much higher project management component um, when offshoring to to some of the lower cost countries. And that, that can work very well if you get your processes in place. I I don't have the patience always to do more project management work. That's that's what I've that's been my experience. But I'm I know a lot of people I know a lot of friends and, and other businesses that have made it work really well for them. Let's imagine someone wants to start their own remote company. What are the, the checklists that they should be going through to make sure that it's successful based on your experience? It's people. Getting the right people in place the, with the right skill set for the services you're offering. So I think having the right people in place um, that have a good skill set, have a good work ethic, get on well with the team, um, being able to communicate well. So we we utilize this probably and then having a good sort of workflow and products that you work and toolkit that you work. We're a Google Apps. So we use G Suite, Gmail, Google Drive, all our documents are on Google Drive. Uh, we use Slack for messaging uh, we use ClickUp for project management and task management. Um, we use uh, time tracking software that which integrates into our job tracking and, and billing, uh, which is Workflow Max. And then and then every week we we have Google Hangouts where we we have a whip where we just go through all the projects everyone's got on. So once a week everyone's on video conference dialing in from from wherever they happen to be, whether they're working from home, whether they're in the office, whether they're in Helsinki or Paris um, or, or in the Alps. 
um, and we all see each other face to face and, and talk through each other with everything. So I think that's key, having that communication channel. Everyone feels they can chime in. We have all sorts of random Slack channels where people are randomly talking about non-work-related stuff, work-related stuff, ideas, um, products that people want to develop, um, marketing ideas, sales ideas, and just the sort of the communication flows well between everyone. So Increasio offers a number of different services to companies. Something I'm interested to understand is regarding the digital strategy, what are some of the mistakes that you find companies are always making in that area? Not actually thinking it through probably. Thinking through and working through a strategy can be a time-consuming and expensive process. Um, so a lot of the time people come and they go, I want a new website. Yeah, how much do you want? And we go through the various dance around pricing. Oh, not too much, too much, I don't know. And you, you, everyone kind of dances around what the price might be. Before you even get to that point, sometimes they need to be having a separate discussion and it's more around a discovery session and a workshop and a review of what's they're currently got in place and interview with all the different business departments. But that's a process and a lot of people don't necessarily value that and they just go, I've got this website here. I want to build another website that looks prettier. Um, and you go, okay, it will look prettier, but will it actually do what you want it to do? And will it hit the key target audiences that you want? Um, we're actually, we have an interesting project on at the moment with a client that is quite unique in that they're a large corporate, um, but they're internationally owned and their Australian office has very limited digital presence. They don't have a, they don't have a .com.au website. They don't have social media profiles. If you Google them, you struggle to find them other than they find their international businesses. So we've actually got a really unique um, opportunity with them and we're, we're going through the process now where we've just, we've just interviewed all their management staff and just queried them. What is it you think you want out of the business? So you're talking to accounts, we're talking to sales, we're talking to customer service, we're talking to the GM, we're talking IT. What, what does everyone in the business think they want out of it? What would they like to have out of it? And so we, we kind of get a state of the play that's a lot broader than if you just go and build a website. Then we sit down and we, we did a competitor research. We looked at um, all their key competitors in the space and go, well, what, what social media channels are they covering? What functionality do they have on their website? Just dig through and try and work out, well, which ones are doing it well, which ones are doing it poor, poorly, which, which channels seem to resonate with their, their clients so that we can come back to them with a proposal and go, based on our understanding, this is what we think you need as a business and this is how your competitors are doing it. This is what we propose going forward. But then rather than just going out of that, let's build a website, we then go to another stage and go, well, maybe we could, should do baby steps and test some theories. So we do, maybe we'll go to a wireframing stage, put that wireframe in front of people and test out how they use it and what they're expecting to find and how they find it. So going through a bit more of a UX strategy and a design strategy, um, that is not just making a page look pretty and, and colouring in the colours, putting more thought to it, trying to get to a defined outcome. What are, what are users trying to achieve when they come to a website? How do we encourage them to do that? Does that is that just a brochure site? Is it a more functionally rich site? Is it a is it more maybe an app? Is it um, an e-commerce site or is it an ordering website? So looking at holistically and not just diving straight into the into the nitty gritty of we're going to build this and this is what we think we want, which is a lot of mistakes that people go. I, and people people assume they know what their customers want without actually researching. They go, well, I know they want this. I know that color doesn't work well. well does it? Doesn't it? How do you know?
So you mentioned about knowing what the customers want. How do you find that out exactly? Is it as simple as getting in touch with them and asking? Yeah, it's it's best to ask questions that are more um, as they're doing tasks. So ideally, you get them in a room and you ask them and watch them and they, they kind of stream a voice of consciousness. So they say, I am clicking on this button because of, that, of such and such a reason. I expect on this page, once I go here, I expect to find such and such an information. So you get this stream of consciousness that is explaining what they're doing and why they're doing it, rather than watch them do something and then after the fact ask them, why did you do that? They may have a, their answer may be totally different, but if you get the answers from them while they're actually doing a task, it's a much more valuable, valuable outcome. So customer interviews, even just simple things like um, putting some mouse flow tracking website on a on a website, so you can see the heat map, what people are doing, where they're going, where they're clicking. That's at least a baseline of information that you can try and get how people actually interact with a with a website. But obviously, digital strategy goes across a whole range of channels. It's not just focused on website. It's social media. It's all of that. So digging into a particular customer, finding where their where their users live, where they hang out. Um, where they interact a lot is is key. So once you identify the social media channels that work for a company, what do you recommend to the company to take advantage of it? So then a, a lot comes down to resourcing. So if if they don't have any resources, it's pretty hard to maintain a, a channel. If they can throw a lot of resources, then it's around formulating a, a strategy around what kind of content resonates with their users with a view to a conversion. And a conversion for different businesses can mean different things. So an FMCG business, which is say producing a particular product, which they sell through various retail outlets, um, their marketing might be very different to an actual e-commerce website um, or a services website. Where you're, where you're selling through other channels, it's more around a brand strategy, brand awareness, um, share of voice, how you fit in with the market, and then what does that look like? Is that viral content? Is that informative content? But if you're e-commerce, then you need to think slightly differently about it. How do, you, how do you get down to an actual conversion? So a channel strategy might be more around collecting emails so you can share brand messages. You still want to collect emails in e-commerce, but your, your, your email purpose is quite different. You're going to be sending emails about sales and products and that sort of stuff, whereas channel in, in another outlet might be more around how to use the product, um, promotions and that kind of thing. Something I was wondering about that you offer is um, to improve the backlinks of a company. In, in your experience, what's the best way to ensure that other websites are linking to the one that you're working with? Um, so we use a, like, and I think probably most SEO agencies look at it this way these days, a, a content marketing strategy. Without having, a cont without having new content, evolving content, being generated on a client website. So it's really hard to do an effective link campaign. When you're producing really good quality content, two things will happen. A, you might get some links naturally if you, if you do a good campaign. Um, B, it gives you some leverage to start to do work partnerships with other websites. You can, you can talk to other websites going, hey, I'm producing this piece of content here. Are we able to come to some kind of arrangement? I can either, I'd like to do a, a post on your company's website, um, get an article, get a link back to it, to ours. Um, so you, you provide something of value to them. They're going, if I get a good piece of content, sure, you can have a, have a link. So there's a whole range of techniques and methods um, around link building. Um, and that's, but it's challenging. It's tough. It's time consuming. You need to have good quality clients with good quality budgets, with enough man hours to, to do that outreach and, and form those relationships and 
produce good outcomes. So it's it's a tough business, and that's where we we kind of we're we're working on some side products ourselves, which will try and help streamline that outreach process, um, so that it's not as as time consuming. And a lot of agencies that work in that space, uh, a lot of the outreach efforts can be quite spammy. Um, so trying to trying to rein in that spamminess. So the first step is obviously to have good content that people are willing to link to. How do you essentially identify that? I mean, let's say, for example, we have a a website that makes recipes or that that has recipes on it. What could you do around it to make sure that people would find the content and would actually link organically to it? Yeah. So recipes, um, you probably start to group your recipes together. So um, you might do things like summer recipes, winter recipes, group collections of soup recipes. So they may be, you may do that naturally via category landing pages, or you might do a specific article around um, the 10 best summer recipes, which then link into the individual recipe details. Most recipe websites probably have themes. Um, There's a massive keyword volumes in in a a lot of recipes. And so you might be, a, if you're a vegetarian specific um, recipe website, there's certain themes you could focus on and, and you might even start to produce content that's tangentially similar to recipes, but not specifically recipes. For example, it might be nutrition, lifestyle, health. So you can do some articles around what in, in the veg- vegetarian space, you might look at, say, say for example, gut health. So you might produce an, an article on all about gut health and you do a massive article on gut health. You can link into recipes, you can link into different categories of recipes. You can do a whole lot of articles that cluster around the topic of gut health. So it might dive into specific areas. Then if you then do a link outreach program around that gut health article, that pulls in visitors to your website that will be interested in recipes, but you're not relying just on the recipes to get the traffic and it builds both sides both sides up you'll get people into the recipes that will read your your article content so once you come up with your ideas i suppose an important thing to do is to do some keyword research and see what keywords have high volume and maybe low competitive rate um how how do you go about doing that before the keywords you probably need to start a step back a little bit if you're planning your content, you more start with your, your business offering. So a recipe site is probably slightly different. It's If it's just purely a recipe site, what's the product you're actually trying to sell? Is it recipes? You're gonna, it's going to be a pretty tough business just doing recipes. There's some really big recipe websites out there already. If you're going to go head to head against them, you're going to be in for a tough time. If you go back to a more traditional business with either a service offering or a product offering, um, say, for example, say we just go with a service offering to start with, and you're an established business, you've got some sales going, but you want to try and and get some more inbound leads happening. I would first start talking with your sales team. What are the questions people are asking when they're when you're selling to them? Um, because if you can answer a person's questions prior to talking to them, it's so much easier. I'll also be googling, trying to find the answers to those questions. We we usually look at a framework of of trying to break down a range of different questions and you're looking at questions around how to, pricing and costs, versus and comparisons, problems, reviews, interviews with people, key people. So that, that type of content. So your pricing and costs, people are always going, how much is boom? How much does it cost to do X? How much does it cost to, to buy such and such? So if you can answer those questions in detail, you don't need necessarily need to give away the price. So if you're a service business, you might not want to go, hey, it costs X number of dollars to build a website. Some people do 
too, but they're usually the lower package end. So they might go, it's $995 and you get three web, three pages and that's how much a website is. If you're in the space where it's more your 10 to 20 to 30 to 50 to $100,000, you can't really say a website costs X amount of dollars. But what you can say is these are the factors that you need to think about when working out how to price a website. Um, so are you going to do UX, customer interviews, digital strategy, or are you just going to work out a sitemap, build out five design template pages, implement it, migrate the content, think about the SEO implications when you map from an old site to a new site, migrating it to a hosting environment, setting up your Google Analytics and tags, all the different things. And once you start telling people, this is what you need to think about when doing such and such, then they start to get an appreciation. Oh, this, this is what I need to be asking about. This is what I need to learn about. The other things you look at, say, for example, how-to stuff is like, how do I not lose my traffic when I build a new website? If you answer that question, you go, these are the things you need to think about when you migrate from website A to website B, and you answer those questions, you're providing value to the user, you're setting yourself up as an authority in the space, they find you via search, they can see your service offerings, and then, you, then you're more likely to get a call from these people. So we, we tend to look at our content around a range of different topics that match to different services or products within the business, and then look to generate content that generates that. So once you kind of do a bit of a brainstorming session and you go, you go a bit crazy at the start, and you might generate a couple of hundred ideas of content, talk to your sales guys, get their ideas, and then from there, then you then you do your, your keyword research. And that's more of a prioritization thing rather than anything else. So, so just because something has a low keyword vo volume doesn't necessarily mean you don't want to do it. It might mean that even if it gets 10 searches a month, there might be 10 people that want to buy your product as opposed to if it gets 2,000 searches a month, probably every man and his dog or 20,000 is targeting that keyword might be harder to rank for, get any visibility within the search engine. So picking the content you want to write is not always about the search volume. And once you have created your content, you know that you have keywords with a high volume or you, you know you have keywords which are going to attract the right customers. Um, how do you then conduct the link outreach program from there? Uh, how do you get in touch with potential other websites where you think it might suit them to link to you? So we use Google site search site operators. So we use different different strings and queries to try and identify sources. We use tools like Ahrefs to dig into other content. Um, use Buzzumo to find articles that may be in a similar topic that have resonated well with people. And that's why it's a intensive process. There's it's quite a lot of, of research that needs to go into to work out who might be a potential target. And then even if they are a potential target, doesn't mean they want to be a target. <laughs> so, so trying to then do an outreach strategy to them that gets a good response and gets a relationship with going with them. And this is the process that that we're looking to to work on and try and solve with the product that we're working towards. Even between that outreach, or the outreach kind of does start when you're formulating the idea, um, but we also do spend a lot of time around once we once we finalize a content calendar, working out what the fleshing out a good article is a key piece. So you don't want to just write a five or 600 piece of content. You won't get anywhere. It, it's just a bit of fluff that you get, pay someone 20 bucks to write. You need to spend time, effort, research it, look at the other pieces of content that are ranking for the keywords you're targeting and write something better. So you don't want to just be the same as everyone else. You want to answer the question, write the topic better than anyone else has done on the first, second, third page of Google. And then you'll find if you do the do the really good piece of content, you will actually rank better than other websites that might have better ranking capabilities because you've done the effort. And then if you structure it well, then you can start to get those snippet pieces of content in search results so that you can, even if you're not ranking number one, you've answered the question in such a way, you've structured your content in such a way that Google highlights you in the snippet position. 
position and then you you effectively dominate the home page of Google for that. Regarding to reaching out to other websites, I assume uh, one of the important things is to consider how they're going to benefit from it. That's right. What's your approach to that? How do you consider that when you get in touch with them? So it depends on, on the website and who they are. So for example, if we're, our client is in one particular uh, niche, so they may have, a, I'm thinking of a particular client, so I don't want to give it away, but they're in a particular niche in the industry. We're producing content for them and doing link outreach. They have a company that is tangentially similar to them, works in the same industry, but doesn't sell the same product. We can then reach out to them and go, hey, can we write some content for you? We can link back to them. They can We can get them to link to another page. We can, we can come up with some sort of arrangement where we provide them with some quality content. So sometimes you, you might not necessarily put your best effort and spend all your time writing, you know, a two and a half thousand word piece of content for them. You might write a good piece of content for 900, 900 words or something, but you don't go all out, but you put it on their page, get a link back and do something for them like that. But there's, there's sometimes the best ones are the ones where you're not direct competitors. It's not just a random website that you're working on, that you're asking for the link that has a whole million loads of articles. It's not just a guest posting website. It's a real business, it's real blogs, real content that is not a direct competitor, but is in the same industry. That's the, they're the best, the best ones. So you get that contextual link, you get a real good, strong link. You're working on a new project at the moment, a collaboration platform. How did it come about and what made you realize that it would be a viable business venture? Sure. So when we're, when we were working with a lot of our clients doing link outreach, one of the big challenges we had was the time-consuming process. It was finding other business owners, other websites, people that controlled websites and that were willing to, to work with us in an efficient manner. The current workflow with a lot of businesses that, that do a link outreach is you, utilizing the tools such as Ahrefs, etc., to find a, a list of outreach targets. And this might be hundreds or thousands of people you then scrape those websites to find out the email addresses of the likely contacts of those uh, websites and then just effectively spam them um, so if you if you're not spamming then you're going one by one and being much more targeted um, but then that's a really time-consuming process so what we thought was try to come up with a solution that shortcuts that process that gets a network of people together where you can connect with people based on certain common SEO metrics, such as Moz's DA or the Ahrefs similar metrics, with verified websites um, and being able to connect with them. But not necessarily like one of the things with SEO and link building is everyone's scared of, of Google and what Google might say if you're pursuing link building, making it uh, private. The, the idea being that you're able to, to find and reach out to people in a really quick manner to, to say, hey, this is what I'm about. Can we do something? And, and being able to connect with people much simpler and easier. That's the, the short of it. And then it's a, it's a collaboration platform with content creators, people who own and control websites. Obviously, it's a, you know, it's a bit of a gamble. We think it's a great idea. We have uh, quite a few people lined up to, to be beta testers um, from agencies and, and website owners, etc. Um, and so we're, yeah, we're just going through the, the development phase at the moment, should be, should be ready to, to review something in a few months' time. Once you had the idea, what was the pro what's the process of getting it to market? If you could talk us through how you've planned and approached it. Um, so we've both my uh, both Sean, who's our head of SEO, and myself, we we most a lot of evenings sat down, mapped it out, uh, wireframed what it might entail, refined, and because it's a side project, it 
allows time for it to percolate in the back of your head. You work with clients, you go, oh, actually, if we'd had this and this and this, that would solve that problem. So it's been, it's been probably about 12 months where it's, it's been in the planning phase. We've written specification documentation, done wireframing, um, thought through, debated amongst ourselves, other team members who aren't necessarily SEO people and just going, this is what we're doing. What do you think? Get their feedback. So that whole process has been quite lengthy. Um, and the other challenge, of course, is because it's you're doing it on the side um, until it gets to be a viable business. It's, it kind of takes backseat to, to revenue generating clients. Final question for me then, Troy. Um, what would be your top tips to someone starting out to ensure that they increase their backlinks? Produce content and ask. The biggest thing, like, and um, we're, we're, we're shocking with this as well. So I've, I've been doing this for years. And for many years, I had a single page website that just said, this is who I am. Here's my contact details. Even now, we have a much more comprehensive website, but we don't necessarily produce as much content as we should. We, we have a plan in place and we're starting to do that. But even now, like most of our business has been from, from word of mouth and referrals. I would say dive into it sooner rather than later. Um, I, wish I'd, I wish I'd done it five or six years ago and done it properly um, rather than just going, hey, we're, we've grown our business and we've grown it well, but it's all relied on on my business networks and my referral networks and, and word of mouth. So it's, that's been great. But it need, you, to continue to grow, we need, uh, we need multiple channels of business. And it's like I said at the start where when I first built out those websites, I was relying solely on Google and that can crash and burn. And if, you, if all your eggs in the one basket with the one channel of, of business, then, then you're leaving yourself massively exposed. So I would say actually do the work. That's the main thing. Go, <laughs> go and do the produce, start producing the content, start doing some outreach, find your friends, Find a, a, a network, whether that's something like Reddit or um, hanging out in a particular area, LinkedIn, um, into engaging with people and interacting with people, and then Twitter, wh- wherever you're, whatever floats your boat. I used to, I used to be heavily into Dig back in the day. Thanks very much for your time, and I appreciate it. We'll be in touch soon, and uh, I hope you enjoy things over in sunny Sydney. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you to my guest, Troy Roanfeld. Don't forget that if you want to pick up more tips from WordPress experts about how to make your business a success, hit the subscribe button now. I'm Joe Lobo, and I'll see you next time.